Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Heady Jams, a grateful podcast right here, available on SoundCloud and iTunes. This is Ira Lipsy, the eye of the world, bringing it to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. And today we have a special guest, contributor of a fantastic set list I'm sure you are all going to enjoy. This is Jeff from the Stolen Faces. Jeff, I don't want to mangle your last name, Malinowski. Did I say that correctly? You nailed it. Beautiful. Jeff is the uh, vocalist and guitar player for a Nashville Grateful Dead tribute band. Would you call yourselves a tribute band or a cover band? Um, I, I guess <laughs> tribute band, although I'm not really sure what the differences are. Uh, I mean, we, we pretty much... We only play music that the Grateful Dead played, so uh, if that's a tribute band, that's the Okay, yeah, so we'll say tribute band. Anyway, tribute band, I've seen them several times here in Memphis. I also caught them earlier this summer in an online show that I thought was very cool and very well done. Uh, I wasn't really quite sure what to expect, but that was uh, it was really cool. The, the company that did that, um, I, I, off, the, off the top of my head, I can't remember. T- tell me who they are and how y'all got together doing that live concert. Sure. So um, the fellow who put it on, Michael Weintraub, is a uh, Nashville-based photographer, and, and he does a lot of live music photography, but the thing he's sort of known for is this thing called Instrument Head, where he uh, has all sorts of musicians, but a lot from the sort of jam band world, he photographs them in his studio with their guitar or whatever instrument um, over their face. Sort of, sort of looks like their guitar. The body of their guitar is their face or their head. Um, and so that's that's what he's known best for. And he has a book out of all um, a bunch of the photos that he do, uh, that he's done. Um, and I know he sells his prints and stuff online. So he has this studio, and he decided he wanted to figure out a way to use his studio to help um, musicians and sort of get the music out there. And it's a perfect space, so he invited um, a sound company to come in and set up uh, the what would be required to do a live stream. And he sort of manned a lot of the um, video aspect or, or got some video people involved. And he's been doing these live streams from the studio, and they are very high quality. Um, and they're available on demand. So even if people missed our show, they can go on his site, and I and I think they can uh, find the video there and 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 purchase uh, a viewing, and then you can watch it as many times as you want. Um, I think his I think it's uh, Instrument Head Live is his uh, website. Yeah, and, and like I said, it, w- it was very well done. I was very impressed with the whole setup. Have you guys played, had a chance to play anywhere live since all this COVID stuff has started? Well, before the Instrument Head gig, which was, I think, big, sometime in August, maybe? I, I think it was early August, yeah. I kind of forget, but um, before that, we had done a couple of live streams from... Uh, a venue in Nashville that we have a long-standing um, residency at, a place called Acme Feed and Seed, 
where up before the pandemic, uh, we'd been playing there every other Monday for, I think, the past five years. Um, and so we went in there. They'd been closed, and so they were gracious enough to let us come in. They, they uh, had some of their people working sound and video, and we streamed that right to Facebook uh, and a couple of, I think, Facebook, maybe Twitch. I don't remember. But... Um, but that was cool too. It was it was great to get together and have a safe place where we could play some music. So it wasn't for any people. And then um, after the instrument head thing, um, earlier this month at the beginning of September, we have a we've we off we I think for the past maybe four years have done a Labor Day gig in Birmingham at a place called Avondale Brewing, where. Um, we uh, they have this great large outdoor space, nice big stage, and um, lots of open green space for people to hang out. And so they did. They they undersold it. I think they only said they sold 400 tickets or something like that. But um, it was great to play for people, and that that's been our one like get out and in front of the people. But since then, going into September or the rest of September and into October, we've got a couple of other gigs coming up or out. Lots of safety precautions taken to make sure that people are being responsible. But um, it's it's nice to get back, you know, not with the frequency that we used to, but getting a couple gigs in a month. Yeah, I can only imagine. And hopefully this thing will wrap up sooner than later so you guys can get back out there and, and play with more frequency because I know we enjoy having you guys here in Memphis. We've seen you uh, a few times here, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I hope we can get back to Memphis. I mean, we had – Grand plans to be uh, playing in Memphis quite a bit this year. Um, a, a place we had played a few times last year. Uh, we were going to start playing there every month. Um, and we had these grand plans to be like, okay, June, we'll do like sort of the 1970 vibe. And then um, July, we'll do more of like a 77 vibe. And, you know, kind of like fix it up in the, in those ways, uh, get real dirty with it. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to get back there and, and, and do that at some point. Yeah, and we'll look forward to that. And so speaking of the 70s vibe, I'm going to break down the set, the first set that, uh, that Jeff sent to us. And hopefully, I mean, did you get contributions from the other guys in the band on this one, or was it a solo act from you? No, I mean, I, I kind of spearheaded putting the list together, but we've spent a lot of time together. Uh, obviously in the van and I know kind of what everyone likes. <laughs> right. So I, I, without actually asking them, I, I use their, their contributions are, are there, whether they know it, whether they said it out loud or not. Gotcha. All right. So what we got here, first set, we start off with the Jack straw into Franklin's tower. This is from, May 15th, 1980. It's kind of an epic Jack Straw Franklin's Tower. I believe we've used the Jack Straw before on the show, but not the Franklin's Tower. Um, so that's that's a that's a kind of an iconic combo right there. You've got Black-Throated Wind from September 27th, 1972. Bird Song, the famous Bird Song from Veneta, Oregon. That's August 27th, 1972. Then you've got Unbroken Chain, the studio version, and you put in your email to me, you know, really because that is the best version, and it is. 
Uh, they love each other from the iconic Cornell show 5877. Looks like rain from February 3rd, 1978. Then the Skull and Roses version of Bertha. Then you've got this really sweet jam into China writer from June 26, 1974. And you wrap up the first set with Samson and Delilah from May 14th, 1978. Very 70s heavy. Uh, you've really got the, the one Brent number in there from the, the opener, Jack Straw, 51580. Uh, and, mu- and much of the second set is also 70s. I mean, would you say, okay, here's a, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, St. Stephen, who unfortunately couldn't be with us this morning, co-hosts uh, this podcast with me, and he really, really likes the set you, you sent. His, his the, the debate we always have between each other is 73 slash 74 or 77 kind of slash 78, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I love, first of all, I love it all. <laughs> yeah. In, in making two sets, I immediately was like, oh, man, but how can I not have, you know, a really killer 69 uh, St. Stephen the 11 or, you know, Pig doing Hard to Handle. or And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to limit it and, and still make it feel like a real show. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of, like, I love 72... Specifically, like, Fall 72 to me is this, like, creative peak the Grateful Dead. And, and playing-wise, it's like it, it's like the meeting of, you know, the, um, the sort of earlier primal days. You're still getting epic Dark Star and um, uh, the other ones happening while you've got the kind of, like, cowboy... 71 vibes still there and they're writing so many songs in that period while also it's right on the cusp of the 73 more jazzy um, more like almost proggy stuff that they get into you know with like stuff like Unbroken Chain or 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 even Eyes of the World like things that they're just more complicated musically but still um, but not complicated in the way that say like um, a Saint Stephen the Eleven, you know, it's, they're more song based. You know, like like you you hear Robert Hunter's influence and uh, like the way that those like American Beauty, Working Man's Dead uh, era songs are, are like always going to be a part of how they write. But anyway, um, I, I, I'm definitely uh, I love the early One Drummer Dead of the seventy. 71 through 74, but, um, you know, with 77, 78, those, sometimes some of the songs that were written in the early 70s needed a few years of being played before they really kind of opened up and um, and they figured out how they go. And that first, that, that Jack Straw and Franklin's Power that I have uh, on there, I mean, that's a great example of that. Like, Jack Straw in 72 is great, and everyone knows the Europe 72 version. They, they sound awesome. But it's, it's more of like a mid-tempo tune. And then by 1980, Jack Straw is like a rocker. And, yeah. And it's, and it's so dynamic and so, like, um, just, like, all out that it took that long of it being in steadily in the rotation 
to to get to the point where it's like they really know where those geeks are and um, so yeah I mean and that's true so much of the late 70s like sugary of the late 70s versus sugary from when it was written in 72 like you, you can't really compare the two like it's so when you get those 20 minute sugaries of like 77 78 so <laughs> so awesome you know yeah, you know, and, and the, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm in the '71 to '74, the one drummer kind of boat. I mean, not that any, you know, not that any of it is bad. You're right. I'm I'm same same way. I love it all. Um, you know, the, the, the highlights I think that you know besides this Jack Straw, and you know, it's funny you mentioned Jack Straw because the you took the word right out of my mouth. It, you know, by '80, it does become a real rocker, and we've and we've used some versions on this uh, podcast from some later years even like 93 i think two prime examples from 93 are uh chapel hill and uh eugene oregon there's two great rock inversions that like you said they go all out and it really becomes like a great high energy and generally was used as an opener uh which i'm glad you have as, a, as an opener they even they kind of drop the the vocal harmonies for a lot of that beginning part and it's just bobby kind of like it's it's fast like they, they're they're cruising through it at that point, and that's cool too. Yeah, like I mean, I, I I love it all. It's one of my favorite songs, and so any way that they do it, um, cool. And 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 for me, like playing all of this music leads to a certain appreciation that I didn't have before when I was more of just like a listener and an obsessive listener, but still, I was just listening to the music, not playing it, not learning all of it. And so um, certain things, like I'll, I'll hear a, like a later Jack Straw, like a 90s Jack Straw, and I'll be like, man, that's fun. We should try it like that. You know, try, try to do it in that, that way, you know? Yeah. Did you, did you get to go to a lot of live uh, shows when you were you know, younger? No, I, I, I am too young to have ever seen Jerry. Uh, I, I was born in 83. Um, and, you know, I, I remember growing up, um, there was a family friend who was a, quite a bit older, and she, I remember her talking about the Grateful Dead to me, and me just thinking, like, like it sounded like the scariest, darkest, <laughs> you know, but it was, I was like, this, is it heavy metal? Like, what is it? Um, but she didn't look like what I thought someone who was into heavy metal would do. Uh, and I remember when someone, the first, thing I ever heard of the Grateful Dead was um, someone let me borrow Dozen at the Nick, um, that three CD set from 1990. I don't remember what it came out, but um, I I grew up in Albany, New York, and so the Knickerbocker Arena was our local, it was like the place where I saw my first concert. And um, so to me, it was so cool that, okay, this, this band, this is like them playing in my hometown. And... Um, I went into it thinking, like, oh, what is this going to be? Like, is this going to be kind of dark and scary? And then I remember within the first couple songs, you're like, oh, no, wait. This is not what I thought it Like, this is the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. You know, but um, I don't even remember what your question was. But, the, but Oh, yeah, but I never got to see the dead. But then once I got into them in high school, um, that was sort of right when... Um, Things like Phil and Friends and Rat Dog were kind of peaking, um, you know, and so I, I would, I'd see them 
often, and and um, I saw Dark Star Orchestra maybe in 2000 or 2001 for the first time, and loved them. And now the yeah, and then it just kept exploding. There's more and more uh, avenues. Grateful Dead's music, you know. Uh, yeah, and it really is interesting. Um, I went to the Fair the Well shows in 2015, and my buddy and I, we, we've always been into the dead. And when the, when the Fair the Well came out, we, we knew we wanted to go, and we ended up mail ordering, and we got tickets for all the shows. And kind of since then, you know, it's even though Dead and Company's playing, it's beyond that as far as the explosion of different people getting either into the dead for the first time or back into the dead. And it really is like kind of a really cool thing that even though, you know, there's no more Jerry and it's really a lot different. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of dead and company. I don't dislike it, but I don't go out of my way to, to listen to it per se. I mean, I guess if they came around, I'd go, but it's a little slow for me, I guess, <laughs> you know, the, my, my problem. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. The, the kind of the resurgence of, of, of new fans and old fans and new fans. It is. I mean, I think the coolest part about Dead and Company is that it's a, it's a sliver of, you know, sort of what it might have been like. Or, you know, I mean, obviously you can't, can't compare it to the 90s because we're, we're, we're 25 years later, right? But, um, and, and the times that are, have changed. But being able to go and see that music played in big places and being surrounded by a lot of people excited to hear that music. Dead and Company is really the only way in which you're going to really feel that energy. Um, that said, it's not something I put on ever. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're that music, I, I, I go to the source, you know, the, my favorite. And we, as Dead fans, like, I think we're all really lucky that so much great quality music circulates and never really get tired of it, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about uh, it. Um, so, w- you know, a couple of things real quick on this on this first set. Like, we mentioned yeah. the Jack Straw and the Franklin's Tower. Uh, great Black Throated Wind, of course, the Bird Song we've played before, which is like the quintessential Bird Song. Unbroken yeah. Chain. Bird Song never got better than uh, Fall 72 to me. Like, there's certain things they do in 72 when playing bird song that they kind of drop later on and it's a shame because it's like some of their coolest musical moments you know the way that Bobby kind of comps behind the verses is really cool and then the way that they end the jam in the middle of the song kind of like a fake out ending and Billy does this little drum solo and then they all come like flaring back in it's to me it's yeah it's the best. I mean, yeah, that's a great. I love that. I love that fake out in that uh, Veneta version. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, "Unbroken Chain" is a song. You know, you mentioned that. You know, they did start playing it late, very, very late in the Grateful Dead history. And the studio version is, of course, the best version. I, I'm, you know, any any thoughts on why maybe it didn't catch on as a live song earlier? Well, um, let's see. I mean. Unbroken Chain, it's a hard song, obviously. It's difficult, and we, we play it in um, Stolen Faces, and, and in learning to play that song is really where I developed 
appreciation for it because it's a well-written song to begin with, but then you've got all of these sort of, um, uh, musical, uh, hills that you've got to kind of get over to get through the song. And it's just, it's just hard. I think specifically, um, songs from the Mars Hotel, um, you know, it just, they sort of didn't get their time, um, in 74 because they went on hiatus at the end of October those songs just didn't, had they maybe not taken that hiatus, we would have seen those songs like that and Friday Cookie Manga and um, what else? Is Money Money on that, I think? Like, songs like that would have maybe made their way into the rotation had they not taken a break, but then they take a break and, and they're writing all the time, so when they come back in 75 or in 76, you really, they've got a whole new batch of songs. So that's partly it, why I think it make it in and, um, by 76, they would have had to, like, relearn how to play that song, and that's pretty daunting. Um, and, um, and, you know, Phil, like, just wasn't... By 76, too, Phil wasn't singing anymore. So, Friday uh, Kukamanga and, um, and Unbroken Chain were just like, oh, those are out for the foreseeable... You know I mean? Like, Phil doesn't sing, so I guess we're not playing those songs. Right, you know, it's funny, and it is funny, because as the... As Phil saying less and less and the history of the Grateful Dead goes on and there's so many shows where you know the crowd is just going nuts to let's hear you know let Phil sing and you know my, one of my favorite shows is um, Hershey Pennsylvania 628 1985 and they go into the Tom Thumb Blues and Phil singing and like people are just going bananas uh, for Phil it's just yeah, it's funny when he first started singing again right yeah, right around then. I mean, and then you got, you know, there's a great show from Hartford 90 where he's doing the Box of Rain. So, yeah, really it was around, you know, 85 probably where he started uh, doing more. And he did a couple of, um, I guess you'd call them duets with Brent, like um, Give Me Some Lovin' or Keep On Growing, you know. No, and then, he, you know, and they got into the rotation of the Maggie's Farms and stuff like that later. But, yeah, I mean, Phil, not a great voice, but, it, it, you know, fun usually – when he was singing, it was a fun song that you wanted to hear, so it was cool. For what it's worth, I think, when he started doing Phil and Friends and, and then into Further, like, he got better. And, um, you know, it's, always, it's a certain timbre of his voice that is maybe not, like, for everyone. But um, the way Further would play uh, Unbroken Chain or, or Product of the Manga was awesome. Um, like, that. That we kind of it, um, based how we play product of the manga actually off of the way that Further did it because the studio recording of that song it has some real weird idiosyncrasies timing wise that like almost sound like 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 tape cut because they could just the timing does not make sense so listening to Further do it they had they had to sort of like make it make sense a little bit more. So we kind of base the way we play it off of that. Um. Gotcha. That's, um, I, you know, I'm glad to hear it because a musician is going to definitely tell it to me differently than, you know, what a fan's going to say because I don't, you know, I don't really, ca- you know, I can catch some stuff but not in the yeah. same way that you can. Uh, but, I've, but I have always heard that about Unbroken Chain that it was, a, you know, an incredibly complicated song and that's probably a good reason why it didn't, it didn't survive. On the studio version still sounds great. 
he sings he sings great and the harmonies are really subtle but cool um jerry's playing is awesome you know it's you know that that sort of crazy synth sound that happens in there is not for everybody um but i think it's kind of cool you know oh yeah absolutely it's a it's a it's a cool album for sure Okay, folks, you've been listening to the first part of episode 11. This is the first half of my interview with Jeff Malinowski from the Stolen Faces. A lot of great insight there from Jeff and a lot of great stuff on his first set. I'm going to recap the first set for you, and then we're going to let that play. And then next episode, or part two of this episode if you prefer, will be the second part of my interview with Jeff and the rest of his show. So that will be probably released in the next couple of days, maybe Monday coming up. We'll see. In the meantime, here's the recap for you. Jack Straw, Franklin's Tower from May 15, 1980. And that was from the Uniondale Coliseum in Nassau, or Nassau Coliseum, Uniondale, New York. Of course, that is Long Island. Then you got Black Throated Wind, September 27, 1972. That is from the Stanley Theater in Jersey City. Black, um, sorry, Bird Song from Veneta, Oregon, August 27, 1972. Then you got Unbroken Chain, the studio version. They Love Each Other from 5-8-77, the famous Cornell show, Barton Hall. Looks Like Rain from February 2nd, 1970. Sorry, February 3rd, 1978. The Dane County Coliseum, Madison, Wisconsin. Skull and Roses album, Bertha. Then you've got the jam, The China Rider from May, I'm sorry, June 26th, 1974. That's the Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Then we stay in Providence, but we go to May 14th, 1978 with the Samson and Delilah. That's the first set. Then I've got a little bonus music for you, some stolen faces at the end of this first set. Hopefully you enjoy that. I know you'll enjoy it. I know I did. And they got plenty of great stuff available for you to watch and listen to on YouTube. So without further ado, here is Jeff Malinowski from the Stolen Faces, his first set. Be sure to be on the lookout for... The part two, episode 11, where we talk more to Jeff and we hear his second set. Everybody stay safe out there.
the secret Searching for the sound But I could only hear the preacher And the being of his hounds Willow sky Well, I walk and wonder why They say love your brother But you will catch it when you
awoke today Felt your side of bed The covers were still warm Where you'd been laying
we should, the women we should, what?